welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. What's going on, everybody? I'm, uh, I'm Nick Sexaholic. I'm going to read the essay problem. Many of us felt inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid. Our insides never matched what we saw on the outsides of others. Early on, we came to feel disconnected from parents, from peers, from ourselves. We tuned out with fantasy and masturbation. We plugged in by drinking in the pictures, the images, pursuing the objects of our fantasies. We lusted and wanted to be lusted after. We became true addicts. Sex with self, promiscuity, adultery, dependency relationships, and more fantasy. We got it through the eyes, we bought it, we sold it, we traded it, we gave it away. We were addicted to the intrigue, the tease, the forbidden. The only way we knew to be free of it was to do it. Please connect with me and make me whole, we cried. With outstretched arms, lusting after the big fix, we gave away our power to others. This produced guilt, self-hatred, remorse, emptiness, and pain. We were driven ever inward, away from reality, away from love, lost inside ourselves. Our habit made true intimacy impossible. We could never know real union with another because we were addicted to the unreal. We went for the chemistry, the connections that had the magic because it bypassed intimacy and true union. Fantasy corrupted the real. Lust killed love. First addicts, then love cripples. We took from others to fill up what was lacking in ourselves, conning ourselves time and again that this would, that the next one would save us. We were really losing our lives. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, Hi, I'm Megan Proud Esnon. Keys to Esnon Recovery. Over time, Esnon members learn to accept the number. Over time, Esnon members learn to accept the number of new ideas. One, sexaholism is a disease very similar to alcoholism. At first, many of us cannot accept this idea. For us non-members, it means we see sexaholism as sick people, not bad people. They are powerless over lust. Two, the actions of the sexaholic are not a result of something we did or did not do. And we do not have the power to control their behavior. Three, our attempts to control or ignore sexual addiction led to a decline in our emotional health and making a change to sexaholic to continue to practice his or her disease. Four, when we first come to Ethanon, we too are spiritually and emotionally ill. As we work towards full acceptance of these ideas, we begin to see our problems in a new life, and the awareness dawns that we do not have choices concerning our own actions. This is the beginning of our recovery. We remind ourselves that we are powerless over the behavior caused by sexaholism. We ask our higher power to help us to stop blaming and trying to control the sexaholic. The sobriety of the sexaholic is not our responsibility. We realize we cannot find serenity for ourselves if we continue to focus on someone else's recovery, so we commit ourselves to our own recovery. With the loving help of other SNON members and the God of our understanding, we take positive action to make our lives more serene and fulfilling. 
We attend as many meetings as we can, get a sponsor if possible, and begin to apply the principles of the 12 steps to our lives. We use the telephone, the SNM literature, and the SNM slogans. Eventually, we reach out to help others and try to carry the message of our own project. We do these things in our own way, one day at a time, striving for progress, not perfection. This is what is meant by working with them. It's nice to you. Thank you, Thanks, Thanks. Okay, I had Nick and Megan read those. Ugh, I get the most of this. They are truly miracles of recovery. I was so grateful, December 23rd. Megan called me. If you're not on the SA or SNON outreach phone list on your appropriate websites, and you have some experience and you want to go to that next level of service, I so recommend it. It's such a wonderful thing to get back to people that are need and and megan called and, and uh she wanted to call December 23rd so it was christmas eve eve and uh she had mentioned hey i made some calls i can't get hold of it and uh <laughs> we talked a lot that and um Told her a lot of the tools that I've been using. And I said, you know what? Something that helps me a lot when I'm in a funk, I said, 99. Helps me out. And sometimes I'll just say, how about you, 1414 or 3030? And what day are you on, Megan? And how about you, Nick? 34. And I challenged them to, this is a great opportunity to come down here to a conference. And next thing I knew, they said, have the book already. We're coming down here. So it's one miracle. Let's just give a big round of applause. Okay. With that, these are from last year. And we're going to give some of these out right now. Okay. So... Who are the newest Ethanon members in the room? If you've been in less than a month, raise your hand. Guys, come up. How long have you been in? It's the very first time. Okay, how many essays? This is less than a month. Raise your hand. Less than a month for essays. Wow. Now, 
Uh, how about uh, less than uh, three months for essays? Anybody? Come on up here. Let's. Excellent. How long have you been in? I just started. In he just started. It's good to see it. How about you? January. January as well. Okay, I got to do something else. It's kind of fun. How many people are from different countries? Raise your hand. Okay, country from Israel. Israel, Oh, here's another Polish lady. Guys, How many countries was that, guys? Okay, so first of all, I want to make sure every everybody ever is on one item. Start at a dollar bill. I'm challenging everybody to do that. So you can't take the item so. Just bid on one item for a block and just start it there, okay? So that's a challenge after this meeting before we get back to lunch. Okay, so this is the panel for healthy communication and healthy intimacy. And thank you so much for everybody who has put in questions. Uh, so we'll just do the questions here and he'll kind of combine the questions and everything. And uh, thank you to the panels. How about we'll just start at this end and we'll come across for about you know a minute to kind of introduce yourself and you want to know who you are and everything. And there's a speaker right there. Uh, it's like, my name is Kevin says, Okay, my name is Scott, and I'm a recovering sexaholic from San Diego for California. And I'm to be here. all here as well. Um, I came into the program uh, for almost the day because I came into the program in February 16, 2019. So I'm just about uh, four years. And if I don't screw up this weekend, I think I'll feel okay. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I came into the program not because I wanted to come into the program. I actually uh, was sent to the program by a therapist, a CSAT therapist, last thing at the time. I actually was, uh, well, I thought that I was working on anger and rage and dealing with that. And we had worked on it for about six weeks, but each week that I would go to him, we were doing this workbook together. And uh, he kept telling me stories about sex addicts and kept referring to me as a sex addict. And then I would go home and my wife would say, so how was the therapy? And uh, basically I would say, it was good, but he just keeps calling me a sex addict. So, <laughs> so finally one day uh, he just said to me, here, these are the two numbers, um, call one of them, or both of them, and then uh, I think they'll get some help there. And the first one I called was for the SA and uh, that was the best thing that I ever did, and my God, that I was able to find uh, this program. And, uh, yeah, it really improved my life, my marriage, my family, and uh, life is a lot more serene now than it ever used to be. And so I'm grateful to be here, and I'm spending on the sixth Hi, good morning. I'm Elise, and I'm uh, a very, very grateful as an I came into the program this month about four years for me as well, uh, February 27, 2019. And um, I was at the bottom. I was at the absolute rock bottom and I didn't know if I was going to live for another day. It was awful. And I was so afraid to leave the house, make eye contact with anybody who knew what was going on, etc. And um, in fact, when I spoke to the woman on the phone that answered the phone, I asked her to meet me in the parking lot because I was so afraid to walk into the room all by myself. What if I knew somebody? What if somebody saw me in the parking lot? So she met me in the parking lot when I went in there. Just like this, covering my head. Honest to God, within five minutes, I knew I was home. It was the safest place I probably have ever felt in my entire life. And I could not believe the honesty and the vulnerability in the rooms. And I can honestly say that at the beginning, all I could do was take. And I swore and I made a promise to God, if I live through this and I make it through to the other side, I will spend the rest of my life giving back to these people. And all of you represent those people who have given so freely to me. And I am so happy to be here four years later. A lot of work to do, but I've come a long way. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, lately, um, I kind of have this joke, and, and it's, it's, it was a very serious thing. Because in 2015 was D-Day, which I thought was going to be the first day of my life and actually became the best day of my life. It gave me up. Um, hiding in secrets my whole life and living in fear and um, going on. It's great. A bondage. But the thing that we've been talking about is we just celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. <laughs> Eight years ago, we were in a divorce lawyer's office, and we laughed about it. 
which is a miracle. And there's lots of things that we can talk about now that we're just safe. Oh my gosh, so many triggers. And I'm not going to say it's been easy. It hasn't been easy. It's been the most difficult work I've ever done, but it's also the most worthwhile. I mean, like I said, I gained life, life that I never had before. And so very thankful for the program. I'm thankful for all my family here. Um, I just... I just can't say, you know, I every every day gets better. And uh, I heard early in this week we've been down here um pain with a purpose. And I really feel like I have had a lot of pain, but boy, it's been a great purpose. So, yes. Hi, I'm uh, Kevin H. Uh, <laughs> The funny thing is about the anniversary, 35th, we came down here for our 33rd anniversary two years ago, right here, right, right one of these rooms here. And on the way home, we were just chit-chatting, which I love chit-chat now. Uh, and uh, we were talking and we said, you know what would be so cool is if we had a conference here next year. And I, you know, I said, well, yeah, that would be kind of cool. I said, Vancouver is cool. So from there, our anniversary, which, like she said, we were in the divorce lawyer's office eight years ago, kind of spawned this idea of having a conference here. So it's so funny how God has humor in our lives and works in mysterious ways. Uh, I'm a proud member of Essanon. I've been in since uh, April, strike that, May 18th of 2015. And I am just, I always like to start out by saying, you know what, I am just so, so grateful I married a sexaholic. <laughs> and it's true. I am 100% true about that because it has changed my life with my kids, um, with my family, with my workers in, in, in the office. I mean, it's just a new life. And I always also like to say, you know, my worst day in recovery is better than any day prior to recovery. A hundred percent correct on that. Uh, so I'm just so grateful to be of service. I just want you to know that if we as we travel and I hear a little things for my Hello, my I'm Anne, and I am grateful to be here. I came into this now and a family. Gosh, you guys look so cool from up here. <laughs> Spend the time because it's worth it. You know, the days are very long. The years fly by. I, I cannot believe that I have spent really half my life in recovery. And I am incredibly humble. Um, so some of the old tools are difficult to put down. So we do bring things just in case. And in my purse, one of my sons, he's traveled internationally, and she knows that I like to stir up the, and so she got me a little baby wooden spoon just in case I want to stir up just a little bit. So <laughs> oh, I always keep that in my purse every once in a while when he is brave enough to look at my purse. One day we were at my son's law school graduation at the breakfast with the whole family and my ex and everybody. And he pulls out the little spoon and he's like doing one of these things. <laughs> and then the same sweet, sweet sponsee for Christmas. 
Would I like to stir it up a little? Or would I <laughs> and so I share my wooden spoon because sometimes those old tools are hard to put down. And it's just when I first came in, my sponsor said, and I had a big one. I had one from the drink store, you know, those big forks and spoons from the 70s. Um, because it's just a great reminder. And I carried it for a long time. And she said, if anybody sees it in your purse, you need to be honest. I wasn't. I was dishonest a lot in what I didn't say. And it was difficult to learn. It was just a conversation. And then, of course, as you heard last night, once we got married, I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be so easy. He's like, hey, 62, never married. How hard would it be to train this man? Sometimes quickly. So I'm incredibly grateful that we get to spend today our wedding anniversary, which I really never thought we would because again, he had never been married. We had the cake, you know, we took the cake topper off, we brought it to my mom's. A week later, we bring it home. He said, what's this for? I said, because in a year on our anniversary, the fantasy, you know, we have to go someplace romantic and we're going to eat the cake. And he just looked at me like, seriously? And I got home that night, he ate the cake. <laughs> he said, he said, well, I am happy at the wedding. <laughs> he had one piece that was really nice about it. And I looked at that and I just thought, again, he's so much like my father. He'll do just like my father because my mother was like the drill sergeant. Not so much. And then I realized, you know, he is, his childhood is fast and his life until today. So it has been a tremendous growth opportunity. Um, you were talking about your anniversary. Think about this. Every thought is a prayer. God hears it. I never thought I would meet some of you people. I never thought that I would get married six years ago. There really are three stages in the work of God. Only three that I've ever seen. Impossible. Difficult. Done. So this is my sweet husband. You can hold on to this food if you want. An English shot. And I am... If it's got an A in it, I belong to it. I'm serious. I can belong to all of them. Uh, and up until this morning, when I heard Marcus, I really didn't know that I belonged in this room. I thought I was okay. And he had a trigger on me this morning, and he opened up a big door for me. So I didn't know that at the age of five, when I was starting being molested, that it was going to trigger a lot of dysfunction in my life. Of course, I grew up in a majorly dysfunctional household anyway. It's enough, but it it, it impounded, compounded over time. Um, I got the pretty spoon, and it's got two ends. But it's too pretty, so I'm not going to soil it by stirring up any <laughs> I started my recovery um, in 1986 when I was in prison. Um, I was in prison for a lot of offenses, a lot of drug offenses. 
I got introduced to Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous there in prison. And, uh, and I started a recovery journey there. And over time, working through that program, I've learned that there are a lot of other things that uh, I should be taking a look at. And it was the 12 steps that got me aware that that through them, I became aware of just how dysfunctional I really was because I thought I was okay. I thought the world was screwed up. <laughs> and if everybody would just get out of my way and let me roll like a uh, whirling dervish, I would be okay. You know, nobody got like if anybody got in my way, they were going to get hurt. So if you don't know it, when whirling dervishes whirl, you just stand back and let them whirl. Don't don't try to stop them. Just let them roll. They'll come to a stop eventually. So I am so blessed. Um, if anybody knows anything about my story, you'll know how truly when I say this, how blessed I really am, how grateful I really am to be anywhere in this world today, especially here with my wife, who um, I tried to convince her to start another program for incessant talkers. <laughs> So we have a bunch of questions for our panelists that were submitted by you all and some that were submitted um, by folks on Zoom. And uh, I've... I think what we can do is we have a spiritual timer. Could, uh, could that be you? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we have until 1130. So we have an hour. There's a lot of questions. Some of them are related. I'll try to relate some of them. Some of them are wildly different. Um, chance to learn from our panel from their experience, strength, and recovery. And um, I think let's just start with two minutes a person. Um, and maybe you can give like a one minute mark you can show them or not on your colors. Yeah. So they'll know when there's a minute. Left. And if we have more time, we'll have time for more questions. By the way, I'm Kevin. That's not from Ohio. All right. So here's the first question. And we can all answer it. If you don't want to answer, you can pass, of course. First question is. And you have sexual intimacy, if not emotionally sober. Well, and you or should you? <laughs> well, it says, do you? Oh. So that's actually right. We could answer it a number of ways. Do you have sexual intimacy, if not emotionally sober? Second part could be, is that possible? Uh -huh. Um, it is not safe for me to have sexual intimacy if I am not emotionally sober. Why? Because I used to use sex to escape feelings. So I do not want to use my husband to escape something that I am dealing with emotionally. But what we learn to do is communicate what our needs are. And um, in our relationship, um, we have a date night, 
And on that date night, we kind of communicate how we're doing that day. How are you feeling? What's going on? Do you have any hopes going on? So we're both really open about where we are emotionally. So when we are together, especially for me, I'm able to be present. And so I need to be emotionally sober just to be. So that's my answer. So, wow, that's the first question. We go to the soft question. So, being sexually intimate for me, what that looks like is my worst character defect was rejection. And if you know, we were going to be intimate and all of a sudden something happened because one of us wasn't emotionally sober, you know, and she would say no, my rejection would go into overtime. So that was a character defect I had to do it. So not assuming, no expectations, and working on rejection. Those are three character defects I had. Expectations, assuming, rejection. And they are deep in my body. So now it's like if something happened and, and, and we had date night, she goes, God, I just got off a sponsor and my brain is popping. I'm just like, it wouldn't be a spiritual reunion. It has to be a spiritual reunion. If it's not, I can go, okay, sweetie, hey, let's just uh, have a rain check or we'll just uh, put a uh, pause on it. And in my brain, I'm 100% okay with that. So for us, it's a thing. And, and I love date nights because my wife is kind of a sex, we have kind of sexual anorexia in our, in our world. So date night puts a time out there to say, hey, we can have some prepare for it and kind of be, you know, have, you know, a wonderful experience to that. So for that, that's. Intimacy is into me. I have to be willing to be vulnerable. I need to know who I am. Sex is a sacred energy exchange. And so when I said, and there is, I read this many, many, many years ago, BC, as we say, before Chuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because he's had a huge pass before me, I've got a pass before him. Um, but sacred energy exchange, sex begins in the kitchen because love isn't all the affair. And I have had many, many conversations with my girls who, when, just like Kevin said, when they are rejected, they feel like they are rejected. And it's the feeling versus the fact. What I've learned about my sweet husband, you know, when I, you know, we got married and first kiss was at the altar and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be perfect because, you know, I did everything the way I'm supposed to. And I started to get close to him and those childhood triggers and his childhood put up that protection around him. And I am going towards him and he is like triggered all over. And we had to take a major 
major step back and say, how are we communicating? How do we learn to communicate first? And I have said to my girls, you're not having a conversation at the kitchen table. Then how do you think you're going to be able to communicate in the bedroom? Down there. What's that? You can share as a couple. That's right. Go ahead. Where you can, which is what you want. Scott. Scott. I'm very grateful to be here. Um, yeah, I just wanted to I don't know, just kind of comment about the topic. Uh, first of all, I would say I don't think that this is profitable, would be my answer to the question. Um, for me, I'm not even sure we ever really had intimacy. I really did not know the difference between lust and love. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I was capable of intimacy. I, I never really felt like I didn't have feelings. Matter of fact, when I did my step four, not to divert, but uh, in order to do the feelings for step four, how did it make me feel? I had a, a suggestion in my sponsor buy a card deck on Amazon which is a box of feelings so I know how to feel. Um, for lust was all about taking, and I was never really about giving. It was really just me, me, me. That was the addict in me, and that's the That's what I would have described as intimacy uh, prior to coming into recovery. The amazing thing is I was reluctant to have sexual relations because I felt a lot of guilt and shame for all the damage that I had done, and I didn't feel like I deserved it. And um, what we've been able to work together for us, which has been a blessing of beyond belief, is we are able to have intimacy with the presence of God. And when God is there, then our relations are the best that they've ever been. And when God is not there, it just uh, it brings me back to this trigger of the place where I started. So um, my wife, who's a beautiful person who has stayed with me for these 30 years that we've been married, um, it's been a lot of give and take. I've learned a lot from her, and particularly with regard to this intimacy. So I'm grateful to share about this and grateful for people who be here. Sure. And Elise, um, he's right. There was no intimacy, but the difference was I didn't know. I didn't I didn't really understand, but there was a voice or a, a radar inside of me that felt like something just wasn't right, but there were no words to put to it and there was nobody to talk to. But in hindsight, he couldn't look at me. And now I look at that and I go, this is ridiculous. You even say it out loud sounds so ridiculous. Like you didn't see that. How did you not see that coming? But one of the biggest hurdles for me, not only inviting God into the bedroom with us, because we now know that this is something sacred. But when he will look at me now and say, I see you. And that's really an amazing thing because he is not just physically present, he is emotionally present. He looks and says, I see you. Here's another question. Thanks, panelists. Um, how do you have a conversation 
without taking it personally, arguing, or cutting off the other person. We are learning to have some very difficult conversations. And the last time um, we had a very difficult conversation, it, it started with two days of no conversation. <laughs> Which is an improvement because it used to be two weeks or two months or for me years. And um, we had a series of events. And the first thing, he, he's a runner. I'm a runner. I know that. He's a runner. We got back from the trip early. And the person, you know, then he doesn't move back in the bedroom. I'm like, oh, shoot. No. Okay. So but it was only 48 hours this time. When I got up that Tuesday morning, I'd get up early. I go walking. He was laying on the on the living room floor because he's a golfer. And he's been, he's going to stretch. But I saw him laying on the living room floor, and I go, "Are you dead?" <laughs> because I'm funny, and I'm going to I'm going to use humor. And he jumped up. Doesn't jump. He jumped up, and he looked at me. He goes, "I'm in a really bad place, and we need to talk." So I I said, "Okay," and he started to. Telling me what was going on with him. And then he said, but I don't want your feedback. I don't want you to defend. It was about giving an issue with my son. He said, I want you to de defend him. And I don't want feedback. I want you to think about this. Okay. He said what he needed. He said that before. Could you please listen to this? And I want you to think about it. You may think you know the answer, but would you wait and come back to me? How did he get healthier than me? <laughs> But when I look at that, I will say to him, are you in a place where you can listen? And he'll say, absolutely not. I've learned to say, put that TV on mute, I'd like to speak. That's hard for me with the rejection. Would you turn off the computer? Can we turn off the phones? Can we talk? And so part of it is me, just a conversation. Not waiting for him to turn towards me. He doesn't know how to do that. For me to give him my undivided attention so that he will also return that favor to me. And so learning the process. And again, I learned it with my sponsor. Then I learned it with sponsees. Part of it's that practice. My sponsees tell me day in and day out, they are much more like him than they are like me. I'm like, Really? But that's how we learn and that's how we grow. Thank you. Thank you. What was the question again? How do you have a conversation about taking it personally, arguing, or cutting off the other person? Oh, yeah, I'm shocked. <laughs> One of the wonderful tools my wife taught me was. Oh, hey, now I know why you put all that chocolate in my stuff. <laughs> it works. You're training me. <laughs> I got, it's just a conversation. I can I can take the emotion out of it and just talk about what the thoughts or what the process is. And I don't have to take it personally. I don't get emotionally all caught up in it. And I certainly don't rage over it. It's just a conversation. It's a valuable tool. Thank you for that. <laughs> That's all, sir. All I can remember.
Yeah, yeah. thank you guys. Um, yeah, I think for me, uh, conversation is difficult because a lot of the conversations with my wife involve uh, vulnerability and I struggle with that. Mm -hmm. So this is always a work in progress. But I would say that the most important thing for me in any conversation uh, with my wife in particular, because those are the most difficult conversations um, sometimes, is for me to not be defensive in my answer. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm needing to defend myself, and that's not reality. That's just facing fear that I have a lot of fear, um, and I need to surrender that. Where I think we have gained a lot of ground is when we have the conversation by repeating back what the other person has shared uh, in the conversation. I think that helps me to, there's no shame or blame in doing that. It's just kind of, this is what I heard you say. That helps us to advance um, conversationally. I also think the other thing, we had uh, done some therapy at the Gottman Institute in Seattle, and a lot of that is based in positivity. So if I can keep the, the conversation as positive as possible, regardless of you know what I'm, I'm sort of triggered to want to do, I think the positivity really helps the conversation to stay um, appropriate and be productive. So, yeah, thank you. Overtalk the other person, and sometimes they're not even listening, and we're forming our rebuttal when the other person is talking. So we don't even know what they're talking about. And the other day, I was out for a walk with a friend of mine from program, and Scott called, and I, I picked up the phone, and I don't even remember what the conversation was about. But of course, I gave my advice on something, not that he had asked, but I gave him some anyway. And the way he responded, his tone of voice went up like it used to. Something saying with a with just that heightened voice, and I go, I don't like the way you're talking to me right now. I'm going to hang up the phone. And as I'm ready to flip the phone, he goes, Wait, wait, wait. He goes, You know what I think happens with us? He says, I think what triggers me is when I hear you like you're telling me what to do. And the addict in me doesn't like being told what to do. And I think I, I get triggered and that's my go-to response. He says, you know, I think it's something both of us can think about and maybe we can deal with this therapy. And I thought, and I went to get off the phone and my girlfriend said, that was unbelievable. That whole argument was like 30 seconds. And I said, I know they used to go on for about 30 days. I'm sitting here thinking about um, where we came from. Because one of my low points in my marriage was um, he came home from work one day and I was just really wanting to share something. Mm. And I went over to the kitchen table, our whole family, four boys was sitting there and I was excited. And his words were, and he just came to the point. And in my brain, I, my, my switch went off. I knew at that point it was sober. 
And like, if we can't even have a little chit chat, then what's up, right? So he can hang deeper. But anyway, uh, for me, coming from that point, um, had to learn how to communicate all over, just like everything else. And um, some of the things that, tools that I learned was to learn where I'm coming from. I need to know what's going on inside of me to be able to speak in a healthy way and also to receive in a healthy way. And one of my favorite tools, which just seems so easy, is faults. Stress. And so um, if I have any of those things going on, I am not going to be able to respond in a healthy way. Because I heard from Kevin that folks always wins. Not this Kevin, but Kevin that's from Sarasota. I don't know if he's still in here. He calls you out to eat. And I love that. Folks always wins. And so it's so true. So uh, we really work on that. We are, I am still learning how to speak what I need. And something else I heard um, just a minute ago was, um, I need to let her know what I need by, do I want to hear what you have to say or do I just need you to listen? And that's what I've been trying to work with myself and with our family. The boys will want to share something and I'll say, do you want me to respond or do you just need me to speak? Okay, yeah, I was, hi, Kevin, probably on the rest of I, I did say that. <laughs> but I will tell you what changed my life is when B-Day came around and I found out she was act, you know, acting out and she was talking to a guy. She goes, hey, the guy will listen to me. And I said, I will be the best listening to so right now, I love chit-chat. <laughs> if you call me, I will not get off the phone first. High majority of the time, I won't get off the phone. I just listen. So three things that I pulled from Essanon with this particular question, cutting off people, being rude, et cetera. Number one, I love spiritual timer. We do it in our relationship when we talk. We set a timer, we listen. And time's off, the other person gets to share. So it's a tool from SNL. Another one, another one is in the meeting guidelines for SNL, it says no, should have, could have, would have statements. Those statements give shame. I do not want to give shame to my lovely wife. Not going to happen. And the last one I learned in, in the Midwest, South Midwest Conference, uh, no opinions. I am not going to give opinions unless she asks for my experience, strength, and hope. I don't do it. I give no opinions. And in particularly, if I have no experience with it, I can't even talk about it then. And if I could stick, stick to those principles of Asanon, it helps so much in relationships. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. 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 The whole panel here. So... Great. The next question, this one comes um, from the SA side. Uh, help with sharing things with partner. Open up without causing more pain and being okay with it. So it's not written as a question, but essentially uh, from the SA side, how do I share things with my partner? Open up 
without causing more pain and be okay with it. Uh, this is a tough question, but it comes down to the same thing. Um, it's really about being honest. I think that uh, in our relationship, it's more important for me to be honest and uh, her to process the the results of whatever it is that I'm sharing. I think that um, the program has taught me a lot about honesty, you know, uh, although I'm not in AA, it's in chapter five from you. It says, uh, constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. I struggle with that. It's easier for me to be honest with my wife and my family and coworkers and employees and such than it is I want to kind of fool myself and sort of rationalize. So to get to this point, I think for me, uh, the key is to be honest. Yes, it creates a fair amount of fear, and I'm not great at doing it, but if it's something that's important uh, that she needs to know, I want her to know because my whole life was about dishonesty and gaslighting and nothing was ever what it seemed to be. And so now I just want to be as honest as I can. So that is how I would answer that. Thank you, Michelle. I mean, I'm grateful that I have as and you hear my family. Um, we can't have honesty without compassion. And one of the women that I sponsor who is in another A program said and, and continues to help me to learn that the compassion chip, empathy chip is really difficult on the addict side. And she's tried to help me understand that. And so going to the hardware store looking for bread, thinking he's going to be honest and compassionate and like empathy for me is, is a reach. In early recovery, you now it takes you five years to find your marbles. It's going to take you another five to learn to play with them again. And I have found that to be true. There's a difference between honesty and emotional than emotional comment. Early in recovery, I would say to father of my kids, could you please go talk to another husband, another father, another veteran, another addict? Because the things that he wanted to speak to me about were not things that a wife needs to hear. And I was also spiritually, emotionally not in a place to listen. That was for the guys to help him and his sponsor. And it was okay for me to say, would you call your sponsor first? Not in a mean and condescending way, but would you please call your sponsor first? And the other thing that has really been a benefit to me, and I think to us, is when I am out of line, the first time I said, you know, you didn't help me all day long. <laughs> and he looked at me like, yeah, well, yeah, I did. Then I thought, I'm so needy, what's going on? And then I came back a few minutes later and I said, I want to do a reading. And he said, absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, but well, what I realized was for me to come and say to him, I really didn't handle that situation. I wish I had better words. Can we just redo that whole thing again? Hey, honey, I need a hug. Okay, I'll give you a hug or, you know, or, you know, I'm outside stinky, I don't want to touch you kind of thing and not take it personal. But for me to be able to do it over, because then rather than chewing on that, I needed to hug and he didn't hug me all day. And what was he thinking? And what was in the committee starts? I can turn it around and go, hey, I've had a really tough day. I need you to be there for me. Can you be there for me? 
And some days he's like, got nothing. Other days he's like, yes. Yes, and he will turn towards me. Um, and so that changing that mindset. Oh, I forgot to take this up. Let me start my day over. Let me go do this again. That's been very valuable because then again, I, I don't care if it's 11.59 at night, I'll start my day over. <laughs> because again, I'm just human. I strive for such a level of mediocrity. It is awesome. <laughs> because this perfection crap is just full of shame. There's, it's never going to happen. <laughs> Anyone else want to take that or no? I think that um, one of the nice things that I've learned is that everything happens in God's timing and nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. We had about a two and a half year window between discovery and program. And during that time, things just got worse. And I was one of the people that needed to know every detail of everything. And I wanted to know when, how many times, where, what words were said, who was standing where, et cetera, et cetera. And at the beginning prior to programming, the answers that I would get were so much more hurtful because there was not, there were no tools to be able to understand so there was still blame for me fast forward time to program and with the tools that we have now the answers that i would get would be so much more um each of us owning our own behavior and they would be softened and they would be um not quite a circle Thank you. Also, the next question uh, says, for Asanans, can you give us essays a picture, a picture into what is happening in your mind during moments of personal difficulty in times of intimacy? What can or should we be doing in these times as your spouse? Run! <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm emotionally sober, nothing is going on. Bottom line. I have no expectations. I am not assuming anything. And I am communicating in a healthy way. That's what happens in our world. And with that, I'm totally sober. And, and what they can do is just, you know. You know, learn from us being emotionally sober and try to communicate in a healthy way as well. That's you. Yeah. When I talk to my girls about turning towards the opposite of addiction, the opposite of the yes and on issue, I don't have a, you know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I read it and as a thinking problem. I do. It's that magical thinking. Is that, you know, thinking I can fix it, thinking I can make my way through. And living in today, literally and figuratively knowing where my feet are, I don't have all, a lot of that baggage. And again, with his past, there is a lot that he seriously doesn't remember. Plus, he's got, you guys have little waffle brains. 
So for S and O's, can you give us essays a picture into what's happening in your mind during times of moments of personal difficulty during intimacy? What can or should we be doing at these times as your spouse? I think for me, when um, there's intimacy and I'm not feeling completely connected, I think my mind is not present. And in the past, I'm, I'm thinking about what happened, that type of a thing. And for me, the most reassuring thing that I need at that point in time is knowing that he's not there. But he's right here with me. And so whether it's I see you, I love you, you're beautiful, whatever it is, letting me know that he's present emotionally with me. It's So this next question, how do you know your partner feels loved? What feedback tells you that? How do you know your partner feels loved? What feedback tells you that they feel loved? How do you know I love you? Last year, 2022, my husband started the year soon with. There we go. Yeah. Um, he started 2022 with um, just let me know how I can love you. And being a love cripple has been a real challenge for me because I have to learn what love looks like. And so um, he pretty much said that to me every day. This year is. Uh, and it's one of the items I've seen. So, yes, I got emotion about this because I feel that I wouldn't have known that before because I was not. So, um, I know that I am working on receiving love and, you know, looking what that would say. Um, I was born in Essendon. 
But my behaviors came out as the same. And I still have all the S not in me too. So I'm a I'm a very much juggler and very much just very frozen. So um I do feel loved and I'm excited about it. And uh, we renewed our marriage bonds and I couldn't get through those either. I do that in Israel. So learning what love looks like, you know, um, getting rid of the fantasy of what I thought love looked like um, also helped a lot in just being in the moment. Like he talks about not having any expectations and if I do need something, I need to let it know. Thanks. I love reading. I love learning. I love listening to podcasts. I've done that for a long time. Uh, there is a book called The Five Love Languages, which is not a conference of truth, but we will just talk in general about five love languages. Because uh, with the father of my kids, I got the house clean. I worked hard. I did all the laundry. I thought I was going to get wife of the year. I didn't realize he had a maid growing up. <laughs> he didn't go up. I'm an attention, physical touch, gifts, affirmation. You know, the, the love language I give is not necessarily the love language I want to receive. I came from a gift of service. You know, my dad, uh, my mom is never, she's 87 years old. She doesn't have to put gas in the car, nor will we teach her at this point. Um, she never mowed the lot. I would come in from, we have a pool, we're in Florida, it's heated, it's lovely. I would come in and he'd go, house the pool, honey. It's fun. House the water. It's wet. But what he was asking me was, do you see what I do? That pool, the salt, the chemicals, there is not a leaf in it. He is the best pool boy ever. What, what, I, what, I, he's, what I'm hearing is, you see how much I love you. I can't show you love in these other ways that are important to you yet. My favorite word, yet. But do you see that I'm here and I'm present? I said to him one day, does this feel like home? He's like, no. Oh. And I realized he's never been home. He never had a stable home. He's never felt like there was a home. So now I'm saying, hey, what are you doing to make it our home? Thank you for doing this or to, to make it us. And so to receive the right love language. Yes, I find candies and rocks and notes. A through Z gratitude. A through Z who your spouse is. When's the last time, and if you're an Essanon and you know me, you've done it. A through Z, who your sweet spouse is. And I wrote it and I put it up on the bathroom mirror. Three Wonderful words for every letter of the alphabet to tell him what I saw. I tried to see him through God's eyes. Now, that is a great challenge. And I, and I suggest to my girls that they do that. So when you get, again, 449 or 4, 4, uh, 417 in the fourth edition of the big book, and in, this, in the solution, the problem goes away. Again, it's learning and growing and then using those tools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
How do you know your partner feels love? What feedback tells you that? Still learning. You can still yeah. pass, but there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, I'm still shocked. Um, we do so much for each other that um, things happen in my life with my wife. She does so much for me that um, I have a hard time feeling worthy of a lot of what she does for me. So I'm learning how to feel that love. And I know she feels it because she's always like blossoming. She's always like way up there. You know, she's always high on life. And, and, and when she isn't, I know it. So. <laughs> I do. I, I, I am. I am a. What am I? I. I'm a, a. Not a doer. What do I do? I do. I'm. I. My. My love language is service. I do. I do a lot of things for a lot of people. That's what I do. That's the gifts that God gave to me, and that's how I show my love is by doing all of that stuff. I mean, there's really not a lot I can't do. Um, I don't cut glass. I don't know how to cut glass. That's about the limit of it. Everything else I. Can. But I don't know if I'm answering that question or not, but I hope so. The way that I know that my wife feels love is, and I can totally see the difference. Yeah. I, knew, I know where we started, but the, the it's in the mannerisms, it's in what she says to me. She thanks me for doing things that I've done. And I do think a little like just earlier, I kind of approach it almost in like a service way in the program because I seem to function well in recovery in the program and in a way by giving service, living amends, doing things that uh, I don't feel like somebody told me to do things that I want to do to improve our relationship and our communication. And that's when I see the most love out of my wife and she'll become visually more affectionate and she'll thank me and, um, you know, she'll thank me for taking out the trash or doing the dishes or cleaning the floor or whatever the particular incident was. And, and I can receive that, you know, well, because I see that there really is love there and it feels differently to me. That kind of relates to this question. Um, so can you speak to the importance of sharing gratitude with your spouse and how sharing gratitude relates to healthy communication and healthy intimacy? Yeah. You know, I don't know when it's starting. Um, but we do gratitude all through the day. Usually involves um, a loving embrace. And probably after my husband talks to a newcomer, <laughs> like, okay, that was a lot. 
I'm glad that we're where we are today. So just by doing service, um, and it helps us stay in gratitude a lot. But at night, when we retire for the night, we do prayers together, and we always have some sort of gratitude. It's so easy now. Before, it would have been really difficult. But now it's real. One of the things that, and again, turning my thinking around, uh, if you hear more of his story, his first sponsor was it a sock and a sock and a shoe and a shoe, said, whatever way he got dressed in the morning, do it opposite. Because I had to change my crazy thinking. And so um, I'm, I was a single mom. You know, adversity teaches us lessons, prosperity never will. Um, and so when he and I got together, although God always provides, he had money triggers, I had money triggers. And it just was one of those things that I started to say, I love stopping at the thrift stores and shopping for bargains. And I would come home and say, I look what I call. I just a dollar and I got these four things. And he would look at me and he learned to say, why so much? <laughs> this week we're talking about he has a big GM dually and he needs tires for his. <laughs> and he says the tires are going to be whatever they're going to be. And I'll say, at all. <laughs> because it all belongs to God, it's all God's money. And if I look at it that way, I love tradition seven, physical, emotional, financial, spiritual, sexual. It is a balance. And if I remember in gratitude, God will bless me. It all belongs to God. I have, you know, again, one of those spiritual principles that is always true. And so when we learn to do that, and then I, you know, take that little bite of shut up when I find out it's going to be. Then I'm like, wait a minute, it all belongs to God, and you cannot outgive God. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think this is something that um, we probably don't do it enough, um, but I, I can't express how gratitude has helped me in my own personal recovery, um, just in general. When we do uh, sort of a review of the day uh, at the end of the day, almost like a 10 step. Check in. Uh, my wife and I, we do incorporate gratitude. I think that uh, there's a lot of mileage in in gratitude. Actually, I have multiple uh, groups that I share gratitude with all over the world, and I do it on a daily basis. Maybe in the last few years, I've missed by less than ten days of doing it. And in the sequencing of it, a lot of the gratitude is toward my wife. And unfortunately, I don't always read her my gratitude list that I'm sending to other people throughout the world. When I do, I think that she appreciates that I really am grateful for her. But every single day that I do a gratitude list, no matter who it goes to, I do 10 things that I'm grateful for every day. And at least three of them involve my wife or my family in some capacity. And I wish that we really did gratitude with each other on a daily basis. It seems that doing that more is just such a great tool of recovery. And so 
I couldn't recommend anything more than practicing gratitude with each other. Very careful that. Thank you. Let's go. Let's go. Um, I think that gratitude is shown in different ways, and maybe even piggybacking to the last question that was asked. Um, in the past, I was very easily bought with words, and things would be written down. I would get the most beautiful Mother's Day cards and Valentine's Day cards and anniversary cards and everything was filled with words and I realized that in his disease words were said were said to anybody whatever the other person wanted to hear and so to me they've lost all validity and in my temper tantrums I'll rip up and tear up cards and whatever the thing is but to me now going back to that love language or how things are shown or, or observed, to me, it's all about the actions now. So sometimes I don't even have to hear words, just like we had mentioned before, something as simple as the garbage can overflowing and he takes it out. It's like, wow, that to me was an action that didn't involve any kind of words. Right. Next question. Getting in the home stretch. Uh, my spouse is not very affectionate, and I find that frustrating. How do I handle this? Anybody want to feel that one? It <laughs> <laughs> would have expectations. Bottom line, you know, try to have a date night, express your needs. No assuming, no expectations. Try to stay emotionally so share with other people in your program. That's really the bottom line. I wanted to back up to the last question. Yeah, sure. Because uh, my gratitude, our gratitude speaks when we when we care and share with other people, because it's an action. It's, it's more of a verb than, than anything. Um, is that right? Yeah. Love is a verb. Uh, it's all about gratitude. And I live in gratitude. We live in gratitude. We are so grateful for everything. My gratitude starts the minute I open my eyes in the morning. It gets greater when I realize that I can get out of the bed and put my feet on the floor. <laughs> and, and after I say my prayers in the morning, I get ready to face the day. To, to do whatever God wants me to do, because he's going to guide me. I learned a long time ago that I am the worst manager of my world that's ever existed, and that God is the best. He absolutely changed my life. And it's, you know, it all starts once I realized that it was gratitude, that I was grateful, that I could be grateful. And as I do for other people, I find more, I learn more about myself in, in doing that, because, you know, it, Knowledge without action is is dead. We know that. So whenever I can go out and do something, out of gratitude, help, even if it's my wife. I've learned that if it's important to my wife, it's important to me. Because I probably would have been home playing golf this weekend. But this is important to her. And it, it didn't take me long to... to right? To get on board, right? It's like pretty much an immediate reaction. 
thought for a minute, golf. No. I brought them with me. It's like going away to read. Yeah, yeah, they got a golf course. Can I take my golf clubs? Yes. <laughs> Anything to get you in there. But uh, my my gratitude, we live in gratitude. It, it's 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 all the time. It's not just a it just doesn't happen like any time. It's all the time. When you see me or hear me, and I go, happy Saturday, happy Saturday, happy Saturday. He was known before I met him as Happy Chuck, because he would, every place he went, he would tell you happy whatever day it is. And it's amazing how you can change people's worlds. I walk, and I walk a lot, a little stress reduction, I walk a lot. And um, there was a guy in the neighborhood, I, I mean, two neighborhoods over, and the truck drove by, and he yells out, happy, whatever the day was. I guess I must see him in the morning. The kids at the bus. The kids at the bus. I tell them whatever day. Now they try to tell me that before I try to tell them that. Rather than grumble, grumble is like just miserable. No, it's not. Please don't, you know, my girls, please don't ever say, I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'm not sorry I went through this. It got me to today. If I hadn't had that G-O-D, gift of desperation, my world wouldn't have changed and I wouldn't have grown up. Now that the question about the expert, not the, the question about not having my husband is not my wife is not physically attentive. Maybe that's there's a reason. Almost always childhood. I went towards him on you know, and I'm like he's like let go, and he would literally start to push him away, and I felt so rejected. I'm like oh my god, he's just so repulsed by me. And he goes, where did that come from? And I said, my childhood, my childhood. But he didn't know, scientifically, you know, for for health and healing, we need at least 10, 10 second hugs a day. So when we first got married, I'm like, come here, hug me. And he would look at me. I said, and I would say, could you count to 10? And he's like, well, that's the silliest thing. And I'm like, I know. But you don't, seriously, you don't know how to, he doesn't know how to hug a wife because he never had one. Huh. And so I'm like, Okay. Give me a kiss, you know. I'm like, not like you're kissing your sister on her cheek. <laughs> Seriously, he, you know, he didn't know. We had to have that very honest conversation. We had a very honest, we had some very honest conversations before we got married about life and where we came from. When we first got married, we started to have a difficult conversation. Do we either one of us know about intimacy? You roll. So how do we learn? And it's it's the beginning of learning. Learning. I would not have been able to, I did not 12 months ago, even bring up this conference to him because we were not in a place that was even possible to have that conversation. So again, don't leave five minutes for the mirror. I think he's well, talking we, to me. We have uh, one question. I think it's a good one to kind of end up. Really kind of bringing in the tools that you guys all use. The question is, what approaches or methods do you employ to make sure you and your spouse are connecting across all different forms of intimacy? That could be sexual intimacy, any, all other forms of intimacy. What tools do you use? What approaches, what methods to keep that front and center that you guys are connecting I defer to Chuck. <laughs> I, I was waiting to get something to go off of here. 
Could you repeat that question? <laughs> what approaches and methods or tools, program tools, do you employ to make sure that you and your spouse are connecting across all the different kinds of intimacy? I can take a shot at this. Um, it's a tough question that makes Scott so solid. Um, I guess I would answer this question the way I would answer most things in recovery. I think that um, one, when I, when I stay out of self, I'm in higher power, life gets a lot easier. And if I live that way, it makes all of my relationships better. And it's about living in gratitude, as we just heard, staying humble, being honest, and and showing love, compassion, and empathy for my wife. And I think if I'm doing those things on a regular basis and I'm sincere about it, it's basically the higher power that's driving me. It's not even me. I'm just a vector that my higher power acts through. And if I can focus on staying positive, being grateful, staying humble, being loved, and showing love, compassion, and empathy to my wife, Every day goes exactly the way it's supposed to go. And I don't have anything to worry about. And and our relationship gets better each time that that happens. So that's the goal for me. And that's what I try my best to do. But thanks. And um, I think just having God present in our life. So whether it is on the drive that we're having a conversation, asking if God is there with us, saying a prayer together, thanking God for the, the things that we're grateful for in the day, and also with the sexual intimacy, inviting God in as well. And so I think that that's probably been one of the greatest connections that we um, learned during program. I don't think we had any form of Spirituality prior to program. Thank you, Dr. Ramsdale. The thing that I've found really works for me in our relationship is uh, routine. Mm. And we've got into routine with our date nights. Um, we have coffee in the morning and we read our morning meditation. And when we started morning meditation almost eight years ago, um, I would read from my day and reader, state literature, and he would read from us on. And I believe that that was probably one of the most intimate things that we could have done for each other because it helped to understand where each one was coming from. And I'm not going to say that it was always uh, peaceful. There were triggers. There were triggers. And we had some conversations, but it, we actually learned how to communicate Teller was really tough meditations, and now we are, you know, doing other spiritual things because that's where we are today. We play games, our favorite game is Yahtzee, and so we play Yahtzee in the evening. Um, he usually asks me what my evenings look like, you know, like, what do you want to do today? You know, and I can be honest, like, I have some work to do, or I need quiet time, or so just the communication kind of continues throughout the day. Um, one time he expressed the need that he needed me to, you know, let him know during the day, just send him a quick text, you know, an emoji or, you know, how's it going, just to stay connected. And those are the things that's really worked for me. Thank you. 
Wow. She's right. We start our morning with prayers. We end our morning, our day with prayers. And that's our connection. Uh, the other thing is uh, truly, truly, when I say all I want to do is learn how to love you, and I really need it, changes everything. That's, and then use the tools of, of Asana, use the tools, everything that comes around. But I have to really be honest with myself and really chip away at all my character defects and you know, through step six and seven. Always, you know, from the small, small things, judgment, you know, of course, expectations or premeditated resentments. I have to work on all those items daily. That's what keeps it connected. Thanks, Kevin. And grateful member of The concept four teaches us that participation is the key to harmony. I learn to show up. I learn to show up here. I learned to show up for myself. I learned to show up for others. And then I had to learn to speak up and find a voice. Because I thought, you guys knew, didn't you know? Where's my diet? I remember I drink diet every day. There should be one here. Don't you know? Well, how would you know if I don't say that? You wouldn't know what's important. And so early in our marriage, you know, one of the questions when we went to our, you know, Sunday service, where do you want to sit? On the front seat, he's the back seat. Where do you want to sit? And my answer started to be next to me. Uh, it's not what I wanted to say. <laughs> but it's what I said because the marriage is more important than us learning about each other. And again, I truly, as you know, strongly as I spoke last night, the only place to heal is within relationships. And then I pray to see him the way God sees him. I hope that he will see me how God sees me because, you know, I got I got a lot of emotion coming out and all over and, you know, all that, all the love and attention and affection and what I want to do for my, you know, my grown sons and my family and life. And there's a lot of brutal joy in life. Because we're all just walking each other home. So how do we be kind? You know, I think that's one of the biggest lessons I learned in life. Be kind. If you have a choice, be kind. Uh, I'm Chuck. And I am all of the A's. I, 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 I have to say, I really feel moved to say that I have been given a gift of recovery a long time ago. Um, and I, for the longest time, I didn't feel that I was worthy of it. Eventually, I came to accept that, that it was a gift from God. And I realized that with all the different programs, 12-step programs in the world, that there's a lot of people that are hurting. There's only a few of us that seek the solution that want to resolve that. And as many of us that gather, there are, you know, 40 million times more that aren't getting recovery. So I really believe that we are all chosen to be in recovery for a reason, because now we go out and we help 
those people that are seeking the help, that are seeking the recovery. And, and in the end, truly, what we're doing is we're all walking each other home safely. Because it's a journey that we can't, I can't walk alone. I need all the assistance I can gather. And I find it all here. And it's most important person in, in my relationship with my wife is God has to be first, recovery has to be second, and family has to be third. Because if I don't have God or my recovery, I have nothing. And, and interestingly enough, more than six years ago when he and I first got together, he realized it was one of the most profound statements that is still true today when he speaks to me and said, you know, no matter what happens with us, he said, I just want you to know these are the best days of um, and how many people can say that at the end of their life? I watch, I have, you and I both walk people home and we watch people die. And my dad had a peaceful death, but not everybody does. And we have watched addiction kill those that we love. We both have. And so it's just such a beautiful thing to look out and go, that's days. And then it keeps getting better. Any recovery, it is getting better. That's the beautiful thing about it. Keep coming back. It is so much better than it's ever been. And it will continue. We'll talk about pain with a purpose. Yes. Aren't we so fortunate or what? For the wisdom experience. Yeah. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.